Dan Bongino. I have an obligation to come on the air with data and material and research. I can't just say, trade stinks. Thanks for tuning in. The Dan Bongino Show. Well, let's jump right in because we have no time for nonsense. Get ready to hear the truth about America. When I was a young man, I don't remember it being sexy to want to allow a nanny state to control my life. On a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. Hi, welcome to the Renegade Republican with Dan Bongino. Producer Joe, how are you today? Ready, set, go, babe. Here we go. Yeah, back from uh, Los Angeles. You know, folks, before we jump in today, I got to tell you, California is one of the most beautiful places on Earth. Mm -hmm. It is really a shame. What uh, the scourge of liberalism is doing to that place. If you have not visited California, you are doing yourself a, a huge disservice. It is a just a wonderful, beautiful place. And there's some really, really good people there. It's a shame that the Jerry Brown, Governor Moonbeam and the Democrats have taxed the snot out of that place <laughs> and destroyed uh, the good. I mean, the, California, if it was its own country and had conservatives running it like Texas, seriously, would be the second largest economy in the world, if not the if if not the largest. Hmm. Seriously, overtaking the United States in and of itself. I mean, the natural wealth of the place, the beauty, the weather, it's just incredible. So, you know, uh, a hat tip to all of you conservatives out there still fighting the fight in the great state of California. What a great place. I got a story about California um, in a minute, too, I want to get to. I want to get to the London attacks. But today's show brought to you by our friends at Birch Gold. You know I love these guys at Birch Gold because I'm into security. I'm into personal security, security of my food supply. Listen, I'm into being prepared, okay? It matters. There's nothing psychotic about preparing yourself for both stock market volatility societal volatility and everything else. So with stock market hitting new highs daily, the question a lot of us are wondering is how do you protect your hard-earned savings when the market inevitably dips? You know what's going to happen. We have a problem. We have inflation on the sidelines, a lot of money being held. We had loose uh, Federal Reserve policies. The purchasing power of the dollar declines and the stock market goes up just a little bit. I got news for you. You're still losing money. The company I trust with precious metals is Birch Gold Group. Love these guys. Have a five-ounce piece of silver right here in front of me. These guys sent over to me. And right now, thanks to a little-known IRS tax law, you can move your IRA or eligible 401k into an IRA backed by physical gold and silver. The real deal, folks. Real wealth there. It's perfect for those who want to ensure their hard-earned retirement savings are protected from the ravages of inflation and stock market crashes. These guys are AAA or A-plus rated by the Bitter Business Bureau. Countless five-star reviews. All I'm asking is you contact them today. It's real simple. Ask for your 16-page guide on how you can protect your savings. Go to birchgold.com slash dan. That's B-I-R-C-H gold dot com slash Dan and request your free 16 page guide today and learn how you can protect your savings. It matters. There's a there's a premium. To, you, listen, folks, you can't. There's a premium to be paid for protection. These guys will send you the free 16 page guide. You don't have to pay a dime to learn how to protect your savings. OK, so the London attacks. I did a couple mm-hmm. hits on Fox this week and folks, we're in a really dangerous time. And the reason we're in a really dangerous time is the. These terrorist savage animals have learned to move progressively down the logistics and planning scale while staying high on the savagery scale. Yep. Here's what I mean by that. 
9-11 was a intricately detailed attack that required extensive logistics and planning. It required flight training. It required a command and control structure. It was basically a top-down Al-Qaeda run operation sent where the instructions were sent down from the top and all of this stuff was coordinated. Now, with that coordination and an extensive operation like that, that requires extensive planning, flight training, and, and all of the financial transactions that went on, most of the estimates about 9-11 that you'll see from uh, counter-terrorists and uh, and terrorism analysts, strategic analysts. Most of the financial analysis say it would cost between $500,000 and $1 million, which may not seem like a lot of money, folks, Mm. but when you're trying to transfer $500,000 and $1 million in order to pay for things like flight training and the logistics and things like that, Mm -hmm. every transfer, every dollar transferred creates a financial trail, which also creates the opportunity to be exposed. So it creates an opportunity for law enforcement and a disadvantage for the terrorists. Make sense, Joe? Sure does. If I have to send up a dollar to you to go buy a pen dart to commit an assassination, Mm -hmm. that dollar, if I send it by Western Union, creates a financial trail back to me. Got it. And terrorists don't want to be discovered. So whenever I do cable news hits, I refer to these as the investigative footprints. Now, having been a federal agent involved in a rather large case that had a significant nexus to terrorism that involved counterfeit credit cards, these financial footprints are very discoverable. Now, they hide them through a number of illicit transactions where they shuttle money. They, they're involved in everything from the sale of untaxed cigarettes to the sale of uh, you know weapons and, 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 and opium in Afghanistan. Hmm. The, the point I'm trying to make is that is very high on the planning scale, a 9-11 style attack. Now, given the spectacular fashion, I'm not talking, I'm obviously not saying that qualitatively. I mean, spectacular in the fact that it was so dramatic in a tragic way. They thought that that was the better way to approach terrorism. Like, look, we're going to knock down a few buildings with airplanes and and look what we're going to. And and they were there was no question that, that it was a horrific incident. But the problem is, again, that it created a paper trail and it created a way to break down the entire organization. Now, Al Qaeda, ISIS, AQAP, they moved down the planning scale significantly. They went from 9-11 style attacks to mass shooting style attacks to where we are now, Joe, mm-hmm. which is. Running people over with cars, jumping out, and in case you haven't heard the latest update on the London attacks, these three animal savage pigs that got out of the car, these terrorists with the knives and killed people, apparently walked up behind them and slit their throats like animals. Jeez. Like they were, yeah, I, I know, Joe. I mean, you know, I was taking a, an Uber back to the airport to LAX, and I was talking to the driver, a really nice lady, and I said to her, I mean, can you imagine that? slitting a man's throat i mean that this is i know it's a family friendly show there's no need for gore or details but i couldn't do that to an animal right i mean really if i had to eat and was starving i would have a tough time i'm not you know i'm not here to play captain tough guy with you i would have a really tough time i mean if i met my family living or dying of course i would do it and i'd eat that animal but it wouldn't be easy is what i'm getting at to do that to an innocent human being do you realize what kind of a savage you have to be to do that you're, I mean, you're, to, to compare you to animals is like unfair to animals. Animals don't slit each other's throats. It's, I mean, it's ridiculous. For, for, for fun, that is. I mean, these guys think this is like, oh, yeah, this is for them. This is like a comedy act. This is how sick and deranged these people are. These types of attacks are significantly lower down the planning scale. They don't require almost any financial transactions at all. I mean, to buy, what, a, a knife? I mean, you could... 
You could get a knife from your from your kitchen cabinet mm-hmm. to acquire a vehicle. I mean, you can rent one. Not of the, these are most of them have vehicles anyway. Do you get what I'm saying, Joe? How yeah. the, the the problem the 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 larger argument I'm trying to make here, and I was trying to make on some cable news hits this weekend is what the London mayor told the his his citizens out there, Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London, when he said at the end, you know, oh, don't be alarmed. Mm. My humble opinion is awful advice. Now I got into a fight with a Huffington Post. Twitter guy this weekend, another Twitter tough guy who completely misquoted me, which is, and and folks, you wonder why I can't stand the media. I do a hit on Fox and almost verbatim, here's what I had said on the weekend show, Joe. I said, Mm -hmm. talking about Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London, who had said in a speech to the citizens of London after the attack, you know, oh, there's no need to be alarmed. And I said, folks, that's absolutely terrible advice. I said, don't panic. There's no need to overreact. Matter of fact, the chances of you being involved in a terror attack are thankfully extremely low. But to say not don't be alarmed, which I mean, clearly, Joe, there's a continuum right between a low level of alarm, high level of alarm and like complete panic. Right. I mean, you get that like normal. Mm -hmm. Apparently, Huffington Post guy didn't get that. He quotes me and says, Dan Bongino says, don't panic is good advice. When I literally said, folks, please don't panic, which is uh, whatever. (laughs) I I was going to waste some time on this today. And I'm like, you know what? My audience doesn't care about idiots from the Huffington Post. So I'm going to like move on. quick. And then the New York Times guy is even dumber. Alex Burns or something retweets it and doesn't even realize I was entirely misquoted. But you can look at it on my Twitter and watch the whole Fox hit if you have any dispute about what I'm saying. But the the point I'm trying to make is, folks, you have to be a bit alarmed here. Yeah. And you should be a bit alarmed and carry that low level of alarm around with you because there's almost no way investigatively if you don't if we don't reform the way we're conducting counterterror investigations to stop these things because there's no financial footprints. There's no phone calls. There's no phone calls, but not no, but there are very few phone calls between the guy taking the flight training at 9-11 who was probably communicating regularly with Al with base Al-Qaeda. Mm-hmm. Now you get a guy with a car. All he has to do is watch a video, jump in a car and do the dirty deed. There is almost no f- investigative footprints for you to follow. Does this make sense, Joe? Yeah. We're going to have to find a new way to stop this. And this is what's bothering me about the old, we're handling this the old way and we're relying too much on what they call SIGINT or signal intelligence. Mm-hmm. We're relying too much on metadata collection, the NSA collecting, as I said on the show this weekend, you know, emails from Joey Bag of Donuts overseas. And listen, I have no problem with monitoring people who have no constitutional rights. You want to monitor the email traffic of people from terrorists from Yemen sending emails to the United States? Great. But I have a real problem with wasting a lot of time collecting metadata on American citizens who have constitutional rights while at the same time foregoing the opportunity to physically surveil people in the United States or the UK or someone else who may be involved in a terror attack, Joe. Mm-hmm. You know, last week we brought up the term opportunity cost in conjunction with the discussion we were having on economics. Yeah. There's an opportunity cost, though, when it comes to law enforcement as well. If you listen to last week's show, opportunity costs are... Basically, the cost of a foregone opportunity. So I use the example of, let's say, my wife, who's a very talented web developer. She can make six figures easily if she wants to because she's very good at her job. If she gives up her job as a web developer and decides to you know, go into McDonald's and flip burgers, listen, that's, I'm, I'm not knocking the job, please. I'm just trying to make an analogy. Don't take this the wrong way. And let's say that job pays $15 an hour and my wife makes 30000 From a pure accounting standpoint, my wife is $30,000 better off, right, Joe? She made $30,000 in income working at McDonald's. Mm-hmm. But from an economic perspective, she's not $30,000 better off. 
she's $70,000 worse off. There is a difference. You have to understand this. This is a critical tenet of modern economics, but it applies in all other, uh, in, in other fields as well. There is a difference between accounting benefits, she made $30,000, and economic benefits. She really lost 70 because she could have made 100 as a web developer and she just didn't want to do it because she, whatever, she likes McDonald's and she likes the free meals (laughs) if she works there. Who knows? She lost 70K. The same thing applies in security, folks. There is an opportunity cost to the foregone opportunity. If we are going to send billions of dollars in assets and manpower to monitor 300 million Americans and well, maybe not monitor, I want to be fair, but collect the data and analyze the data on 300 million innocent Americans rather than focusing on physically watching people like old gumshoe style detective work we used to do, what we would call, you know, human gathering human intelligence rather than signals intelligence. Folks, then there's a real problem here. There's an opportunity cost and the opportunity cost for dedicating assets to signal intelligence rather than watching potential bad guys is some of those potential bad guys who are now not being watched are going to slit throats on London Bridge. Guys, I, I'm not trying to be a know-it-all here and I, I, I'm not questioning the, 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 the dedication of the people who work at the NSA or the intelligence community or anything like that. Please don't take this the wrong way. I've worked with these people often, the CIA specifically, especially when I was over in Afghanistan doing that trip for Barack Obama, that, you know, super secret trip we did, which I'm, true, I'm laughing, but it's true. And, and I were, these guys are, un, and women are unbelievably brave. But I'm telling you from a larger umbrella perspective, from a guy that's received numerous country briefs and has worked with a number, the nice part about the Secret Service is you work with everyone. You work with the FBI, local law enforcement, state police, intelligence agencies, is you get a really good flavor about how all of them do what they do. And I'm telling you, we're making a huge mistake. So that goes to that goes to point two. And I don't want to make a personal personal safety request of all of you. Keep yourself safe. I'm going to wrap with that, and when I totally move on to a separate story, we have to change what we're doing. We have to go back to the two S's I discussed last week and the week before. We have to go back to the old physical style. We don't have to abandon. NSA metadata collection. I think we have to refocus it from collecting on U.S. citizens to collecting around the world and it, because we're developing a massive mistrust in our intelligence infrastructure. But we have to go back to getting on the ground and developing sources. I know we're doing it, but we're not doing it enough. How do I know that? Because people are slipping through all over the world, Joe. Mm-hmm. Somebody knew about this guy's plans. You know, my third book I have coming out, I talk about school shootings and presidential assassinations, mm-hmm. how somebody knew Somebody typically knows about a school shooting before it happens and they just didn't say anything because they didn't think the perpetrator was was you know was authentic. They right. thought he was just making it up. This happens with presidential assassins and targeted assassinations as well, where somebody knew and they were like, Oh, he wasn't really gonna try to take a shot at the president. Folks, the same thing happens in these terror attacks. Somebody had to know, and we just didn't have the sources to crack the plot before it was hatched. So sources, number one, we have to refocus on sources, sources, sources. But the other S here is surveillance, physical surveillance. We're focusing too much on electronic surveillance and we're sitting, we're, we're trying to be keyboard commandos out there when what we should have is our physical surveillance capabilities have to be up dramatically, geometrically, exponentially, choose whatever adjective you want to use or adverb here to, uh, to make yourself sound more sophisticated, but we have to dramatically increase this. You know, the, the UK, they, they said this weekend that they're monitoring enough people to fit in a football stadium. Well, Joe, obviously, you're never going to have enough MI5 or, or police assets to surveil 
20,000, say, potential terrorists. Because you got to remember, you're talking about 24-hour shifts, you know, three people per shift, technical support in the background. You'd be talking about an army of almost a million people. Okay, that's probably not possible. Mm-hmm. But can we at least start fixing? I mean, can we start bumping it up and, and focusing on the worst of the worst? I'm telling you, folks, you would be disturbed if you knew how limited our physical surveillance capabilities were in the United States. I don't want to give up numbers because I don't want to put anyone in jeopardy, but I have no problem whatsoever telling you about this to increase public pressure to fix it. The FBI has a surveillance group. This is what they do. Mm. They, they, they focus solely on physical surveillance. These guys and women are extremely limited. They just don't have enough numbers. We're letting people out there. Who, and we're focusing on, on what? Like listening to their emails while we're not watching them? Folks, this is really critical stuff. All right. It's just, it worries me. All right. One final tidbit here on this. You know, I was given some personal security advice because this is really damaging stuff. This idea that these guys are going to start running over people with cars, getting out of the cars with knives, you know, slitting people's throats. Again, I don't want to be dramatic. The chances of this happening to you, thankfully, in a country as large as the United States are, are extremely slim. But folks, because the chances of something are extremely slim, again, do not follow the advice of the London mayor who gave the worst advice I've ever heard. And don't be alarmed. Listen, the chances of me being in a plane crash, Joe, are mm-hmm. are minute, are, are so small that to factor it into your daily life is almost insane. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't be concerned about it. When I get on a plane, you know what I do? I always look, is the exit closest to me in front of me or is it behind me? Is that is that panic? According to the Huffington Post reporter, oh my God, Bongino's panicking. He's looking for the exit. <laughs> no, I'm just being smart because yeah. I have a low level of alarm that there's a one in a million chance this plane could be in some kind of an accident. Well, folks, the Huffington Post writer, see, I said I wouldn't go into it. I hate wasting a lot of time on idiots, but because I know I, I don't want to upset my audience. You don't need to get involved in my personal Twitter fights. But I think the larger point I'm trying to make here is to be fair and to give this a point you can take away rather than like, well, Dan's just upset at the Huffington Post, which I am, to be fair. I thought he sounded like a jerk. He's like, failed congressional candidate. Dan Bongino (laughs) says, don't panic is bad advice. When I literally said, don't panic. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's like, are you that dumb? But what's bothering me is when left-leaning kookadoodles like this guy and other politicians go out there and say, don't be alarmed. Don't be, al- be alarmed. And to be fair, Republicans have done this too. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I never really liked George W. Bush's advice after 9-11 when he said, well, oh, we don't need to go shopping. Like, what? Dude, the world just changed. Like, can we recognize that? I'm telling you it's bad advice because that's not what they do on a plane, even though the chance of being in a plane crash are minute. They give you the safety briefing, Joe, right? You've right. seen it. Oh, yeah. Your flotation device is under the seat. By the way, Virgin Atlantic has a really great safety video. They're like dancing around. It's pretty cool. So hat tip Virgin Atlantic. <laughs> but the oxygen mask, put on your, uh, your your own mask before you help anyone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, why are they doing that? Why are they doing that? They know that you, they're doing it because it's smart to be prepared. Just in case. Yeah. Just J-I-C, man. Go, Just babe. in case. Now, the reason lefty kookadoodles don't want you to be prepared is because they think you are a bunch of white hayseed racists. And the minute someone says, hey, don't panic, don't overreact. But a little bit of alarm isn't, you know, isn't necessarily the dumbest thing in the world right now, given that we have a bit of a heightened terror alert. These kooky leftists, the first thing they think, Joe, is mm. Islamophobia. Oh, my God. They're going to start targeting Muslims. You're just an idiot. 
You're just an imbecile. I'm not going to give this speech again that I've given a thousand times about how, of course, they, the billion Muslims in the world are not involved in terrorism. We don't be dead. Of course not. But the fact of the matter is there's a subset of people who practice a very radical form of this religion who've decided to use this religion as a motivation to kill people. That is a factor. That's a variable, folks. It's called evidence. For you to ignore that makes you an idiot. So the reason, because the why matters, mm-hmm. that lefty kookadoodles and lefty media outlets continue to insist that anytime someone says, hey, be a little bit alarmed, the reason they don't want you to do that and they attack people like me who have experience in this, by the way, this clown, I don't know if he's 20 years old and he sits in footsie pajamas and drinks hot cocoa all day. <laughs> I don't know what experience he has in security at all, this this clown. But he, he attacks me because he's a lefty nut, not because he lives in reality. And he assumes that we're all a bunch of dopey rednecks and that we're going to go attack the local Muslim resident in our neighborhood if we say, hey, be a little bit of alarm because he's an idiot. He's an idiot. And what this idiot doesn't understand is this is precisely why 11% of Republicans think the media is credible. 11%. That means nine out of 10 Republicans think you're a joke. Like, uh, I mean, seriously, almost half the country thinks you guys are morons. Nobody reads your stuff. You're a joke. You're a clown. And this is why Trump won the election in an electoral college landslide. You won in the coast. You you get rid of California and New York. The guy won one of the biggest landslides in American history. Mm -hmm. But they, they don't get that. They make no effort to change. Instead of listening to what I said, folks, I'm telling you, there's a political motivation beside, behind everything the left said. And I've told the story. When I was a Secret Service agent after 9-11, I've told this story a number of times on the show, but I'll just tell you quickly again. Not that we need to do this, because of course, you know, if you're Muslim, you have nothing to apologize for for this, that you didn't do anything, right? If you're a patriotic American Muslim who's a law-abiding citizen, you have nothing, there's, there's, you have nothing to apologize for. Nothing. You didn't do anything wrong. Just like if you're Russian and a Russian mobster, he, go, he goes and kills someone. You have no, but we do have a responsibility, if you know something, to say something. Yeah. And one of the things after 9-11, when I was a federal agent, Joe, that really changed the way I... I'll, I'll be candid with you. I looked at all of this. Is there, Most of the tips we got from in the... Because people would call the Secret Service office. They thought we were like the CIA. <laughs> the secret, they did. They, you know, they yeah. hear Secret Service. People get confused. They think you're the FBI, the CIA. They would call the Secret Service with tips. And a lot of those tips came in from really, I, I, folks, I'm telling you the truth, patriotic Muslim Americans who said, hey, I, you know, I think, I, I think there's something up in my neighborhood. So I tell you that, I mean, I tell you that, but you already know my audience is really smart. So on our side, Joe, we're very reasonable conservatives and liberal, uh, excuse me, conservatives and um, good Republicans and libertarians. We're reasonable. Of course, all Muslims aren't involved in this. Of course, if you're a Muslim, you have nothing to apologize for. You didn't do anything. But all we ask is that if you see something, say something, literally, not to use the over, but sources matter. There's nothing irrational about that. If I'm Italian, if I knew something about the Italian mob where I live in Palm City, Florida, I'd be the first one to call the local police. It doesn't mean I'm biased against Italians, but liberal idiots like this Huffington Post joker who I've spent way too much time on already doesn't see the opposite you say something common sense like you know what have a low level of alarm but don't panic don't overreact but know your surroundings and what does he do automatically failed congressional candidate says don't panic is a bad idea you're a jerk you're a jerk with a capital j now i said i'd get to a little piece of personal security advice and i want to skip it here it is folks when you go into any location 
Now, to be clear, this wouldn't have helped you on London Bridge, the the attack. I just, just want to be clear on that because there's there's really the whole point of a bridge is just one way in, one way out. Right. <laughs> you know, that's you one side or the other, um, and you're outdoors. But when you go into a location, because there were some stabbings in this, like a restaurant or a movie theater or a bar, and there's a little bit of a crowd, even if there's not a crowd, human beings have a natural tendency to want to exit in a panic. There's that word again. The same way they came in, even if there's a more convenient exit right near them. It's a natural human printing on the brain. Nobody knows. Maybe it's that you walked in that way. You're more comfortable walking out. Mm. In order to override that, folks, when you go into a place, again, for the Huffington Post guy, don't panic every time you go in a restaurant, you idiot. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when you go in a restaurant, take two seconds of your life to look at where the nearest exit is. I'm not going to give you a whole big elaborate security plan. How to, you know, uh, this isn't the show for that. We'll do it. We'll, you know, we creep them in or, you know, slowly over time. Know where the exit is. When you look at it and you consciously register in your brain, there's an exit in the local bonefish I eat at that's right behind where I'm sitting. Mm -hmm. You will consciously take that exit if, God forbid, something were to happen in that restaurant. Any minuscule chance something does. If you don't do that, mark my words, wherever you walked in, even if it's 100 yards away from where you are, you will bypass four or five exits in order to go to that front door. Mm Mm-hmm. You don't believe me? Look at the Rhode Island fire. Hmm. Remember that tragic sure Rhode do. Island fire? Yeah. Where did everybody get stuck? At the front entrance, even though multiple exits were unused. That's yeah, pretty simple. Because in, pretty simple yeah, Pretty step. simple yeah, advice. Really. Go in. It takes two seconds of your life. Just look for an exit, folks. Folks, ingress and egress matters. Okay. I, I'm sorry about spending a lot of time in the Huffington Post guy, but it speaks to a larger issue. Okay, have you signed up for CRTV yet? I promise you my show's coming. Thank you for all the emails and Facebooks. I have, We are not spinning your wheels. My show is coming. We're just trying to get this thing perfect. But get ready now. Sign up today at CRTV.com. It's not like you got to wait for me. You already got Levin. You got Crowder. You got Malkin's show. You got Dace's show. You got a whole portfolio of commercial-free conservative content that I can tell you uh, unabashedly is the best in the business. You can watch it on your computer, watch it on your smartphone. You can watch it on your TV. It's all available for around 8 bucks a month. Folks, that's peanuts compared to the cable bill you're paying to watch these crap outlets like MSDNC. CRTV.com. CRTV.com. I'll even give you a, cr- a promo code. Get you $10 off. Go to CRTV.com. Put in promo code Bongino. B-O-N-G-I-N-O. Get in there today. My show's coming soon. You're going to love the content we have. CRTV.com. Promo code Bongino. Okay. Uh, th- this one fired me up this morning, this story. So I'm looking at Drudge and on a completely changing direction here. And you know one of my ongoing themes running throughout the show is how the left are frauds. I mean, one of the big problems I have with liberalism is that they're just not principled. You know, I I, I have a grudging respect for people who are ideologically incorrect, but are principled. And one of the stories I use throughout the show is when I was a, a police cadet in New York with the gray shirts and you have to all the cops had the blue shirts. You had the gray shirt, which made everybody instantly in New York City know you were a rookie. Hey, rookie. And you'd be like embarrassed, hanging your head a little bit. But I used to go to work in the police academy for training and I would see the actor, Matthew Modine. Uh, he was in uh, what was that movie? He was the wrestler. Mm. I forget. I don't know. He was a but Matthew. You've you've probably seen the actor before. He's a he used to be kind of an A list guy, but he's you know kind of dropped a bit. But I haven't seen him anything recently. I would see him on his bike 
cruising around Manhattan. And, you know, I, I asked one of my more politically uh, motivated friends at the time, the Sergeant Marty, who he's a sergeant now. He wasn't back then. I say, what's the deal with that guy? And he's like, yeah, I think he's like a big green activist. So he takes his bike around. And believe me, it was like 90 degrees when this guy. Now, keep in mind, this guy's probably worth a couple million dollars. Easy. He was like an A-list guy for a while, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, Joe, I, I disagree with his politics. I think environmentalism has become a religion and is not based in science anymore. Not that I disagree with taking care of the environment. I just disagree with the way the left is doing it. They're actually destroying it. But I quietly respected this guy because, Joe, he had principles and principles have to matter. Even if you're, as long as your principles don't involve like killing people, you know, principles have to matter. Like he has the, this guy had the dignity to live by his own creed. I believe in global warming or global cooling or whatever the left's model of the day is. I'm going to ride my bike to work, even though I have the capability to pay for a car service. Okay. You know what? Hat tip, respect, disagree with you, but I get it. What I don't respect about 99.9% of the other liberals out there is they are totally, completely unprincipled because they recommend a series of principles for you, Joe Armacost, to live by, mm-hmm. but they don't live by those principles at all. Now, folks, maybe I'm old school, but you know, I, I'm not a ninja, man. I'm a samurai, okay? I believe in the Budo code. I, I believe in it. I believe that once you stand by a set of principles, that you don't go assassinate people with their backs turned like the ninjas. You stand there and you fight face to face like the samurai did. You have to live by a code, even if your code is wrong. And if you figure out your code is wrong, you change your code, but you live by it. Liberals don't live by a code. They want you to pay higher taxes, but they don't pay higher taxes voluntarily themselves. Just on principle alone, Joe, you would think the federal government would be raising billions of dollars a year in voluntary tax payments. If your principle as a liberal is that the government's a benevolent force in people's lives and that by paying higher taxes, we increase the power of the government to do good things, then why aren't you paying more? It's a simple question. I ask them all the time. Sorry to yell, but it's a simple question. I've asked this to a thousand liberals. If the government is a force for good in life and financing the government through taxes is a force to bolster that good, why don't you give more? What's stopping you? The answer is because your principle's bull. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's bull. You don't believe it. I believe in charity. Do I, folks? I'm not going to spin your wheels. Do I give twenty percent of my money to charity? No, I should give more. And I, I'm hoping after this book, rock and roll, this book's going to do really. It's a good book that I'll be able to do that. But I give money to charity not because anyone asks me to. I shouldn't have to ask you as a liberal to give money to the government. Pay more in taxes because you think it's a good thing, not me. I think charity is a good thing. So I give money. I don't need government force to tell me to do that. Okay? It's a principle I live by. Mm -hmm. Why am I bringing all this up? By the way, same thing applies to healthcare. They love the idea of government-run healthcare, just not for them. They exempted, you know, the Obamacare exemption, you know, public schools. They love the idea of forcing uh, poor kids into failing public schools, but not their kids. They go to Sidwell Friends in D.C. like the Obamas. And good for him. Again, I never want to attack Obama for looking for something better for his kids. I just wish he wouldn't attack other people's kids. Folks, there's an article about Bernie Sanders, one of my favorite topics. The, uh, I, I mean this. And, and, and I, I know it's saying this, may you may be a little puzzled, but because it's kind of a personal attack, but it's really not. It's more a principled attack. I'm telling you Bernie Sanders is one of the biggest frauds of this political generation. And if you believe in this guy, my gosh, are you being hoodwinked? Hmm. You are B. I have done more episodes on this guy completely discrediting this guy because he's not principled. He's not. Why do you follow this guy? 
He recommends a course of action for others on taxes and health care, socialism and redistribution that he doesn't live by at all. What does he own? Three homes or he's purchased three homes? Yeah. I did that's I did that show already, so I'm not going to repeat that. But article in Drudge today, Bernie Sanders 2016 salary. One million dollars like Austin Powers. Folks, do you have any idea how much one million dollars a year is? Wow. Now, I know what I make a conservative view, and I, I'm pretty sure I'm not allowed to disclose it on a year. But I'm telling you right now, it ain't a million dollars. A million bucks. That, that's a lot of money for an idiot to make in a year, you know? Uh, no kidding, right? I mean, if, for the idiot, the average idiot salary is probably closer <laughs> exactly. to 5000 This guy's getting a million dollars to be a total fake and phony. Folks, I, I, I don't make a million. I really, I mean, I, I, it's probably not a mystery to any of you, but I make a good salary. And I'm telling you right now for my lifestyle, like I'm very comfortable. If I was off, I love my job at conservative view. I love this podcast. If I was offered a million dollars tomorrow to go back and do security, like secret service type personal, protect, I wouldn't, I'm telling you right now, I wouldn't take it. I know you may say, oh, that's ridiculous. No, I'm telling you for a fact because Joe knows mm-hmm. <laughs> I would not take it. I proof is in the pudding because I love what I do. A million dollars is a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Bernie Sanders has attacked millionaires and billionaires repeatedly as being a cancer on society as they accumulate wealth at the expense of everybody else while he's a millionaire himself. How do you follow this idiot? I don't get it. He's a total fake. He's a fraud. The entire premise Bernie Sanders has based his political ideology on is that society is a series of haves and have nots. But here's the caveat. I have no because conservatives don't dispute that. Correct, Joe? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't dispute we have things that other people don't. The difference is conservatives say, well. There's a way for you to get to the haves, and here's the pathway. Bingo. Go to school, get an education. How many people do you know with master's degrees in engineering that are living on the streets? The answer is probably none. Oh, but there's obstacles to me getting into school. Yes, it's called studying. That's the option to get you into school, you dope. Bernie Sanders believes there are haves and have-nots because the money was stolen and taken and income inequality and they they Mm. confiscated it from the poor. Really? If the poor don't have anything, how did the rich take it from them? Mm. How how do you take nothing? Keep in mind, if that's what he believes, and I'm going to wrap it on, I wanted to get to this California story and this is not with our update on universal basic income, which I found fascinating. Mm. I'll discuss that tomorrow. Great uh, Cato piece by Tanner, Michael Tanner. But if Sanders, if his principle, folks, the principle he lives by and he professes to the Bernie Sanders acolytes who bow before him and wash his feet and kiss his toes, right? If the principle he lives by is that being a millionaire is a bad thing because the haves have taken or confiscated the wealth from the poor, but he then has the million dollars himself, how is he not the one who took your money and why do you follow him then? Either there's one of two things happen. Either Bernie Sanders is a complete fraud and doesn't believe what he says, or Bernie Sanders does believe what he said. It's true. And he confiscated your money, took your wealth from the poor and middle class, and you, like an idiot, follow him anyway. There's really no, there's only two things there. Either you're an idiot, on number one, for following a fraud, or you're an idiot for letting a genuine guy steal your money. There is no third option, folks. <laughs> 
Have a nice day. You just heard the Dan Bongino Show. Get more of Dan online anytime at conservativereview.com. You can also get Dan's podcasts on iTunes or SoundCloud. And follow Dan on Twitter 24-7 at DBongino.